0: The following is a presentation of Genesis. Genesis is a place where you are invited to begin, belong, and believe. To find out more, visit us on the web at genesisthejourney.com. But uh, tonight we're going to talk about um, a compelling life. So get the phrase in your mind, uh, start working it in your heart, uh, because one of the questions I'm going to ask is, is is that you? Are you living a compelling life? Uh, This has been... Uh, One of those phrases, you know, sometimes when you hear something, it gets stuck in your brain. Uh, This happened uh, maybe a month ago. I was listening to, uh, this was almost a throwaway comment. Uh, And he was talking about um, a friend of his uh, who uh, one day, uh, the comment went something like this, that uh, one day when this person uh, passes away, it will be a very, very long uh, memorial funeral service because she has lived such a compelling life. And uh, I heard that maybe a month, five, six weeks ago, something like that. And it's been one of those things that has absolutely just stuck in my mind, in my heart. And I've been wrestling with it of, uh, wow, what does it mean to live a compelling life? And uh, it's one thing to define what a compelling life is, but it's wholly another thing to look in the mirror and say, is that you? Are you living a compelling life? Okay, so Michael Phelps is pretty much the man... Um, okay, has anyone had Phelps fever all week? Is it just me? Okay, people raising their hands. Did you swim at one point in your life and that's why you're <laughs> raising your hands? Okay, I know most people don't care, um, but man, it has been, uh, I'm looking for, I'm so glad that swimming's over now so I can start sleeping again uh, because it's been a crazy week of watching what this one individual, uh, Michael Phelps, uh, has done. And uh, we're not here to celebrate uh, Michael Phelps, although I'll give him a shout because it's pretty incredible. Uh, Eight gold medals, uh, seven world records, Olympic record. And one of the things that uh, he has done is uh, he's inspired a lot of people, right? He has certainly inspired a lot of people. And I've been wondering how many people will start to uh, chase or uh, go after their dreams because they saw someone else Uh, live out and fulfill their dreams. I wonder this fall how many uh, high schools or middle schools or YMCAs are going to be packed with all sorts of new people uh, who want to chase that dream because they were inspired by someone else. Um, For me, actually, I'm a swimmer. Um, (laughs) I used to be a swimmer. No longer am I a swimmer. Um, But I remember in 1984, my parents went to uh, the Olympics in... um, Uh, in Los Angeles, California. Uh, That's where they were in 84. And uh, I forget how old I was. Um, I may have only been two or three at the time. Okay, only a few of you caught on to that. That's good. Not many math majors here. Um, But I remember watching, uh, you heard his voice all week, uh, this past week, and his name's Rowdy Gaines. And uh, Rowdy Gaines, uh, before Michael Phelps and before a lot of other people, uh, Rowdy Gaines was a phenomenal sprinter. Uh, he was unbeatable, especially in the 50 freestyle and the 100 freestyle. And I, my parents were there, and they got to go to the swim competitions, and uh, I got to stay at home and just watch all of this on TV. But I remember when I watched Rowdy Gaines, I was like, I want to do that one day. I was so inspired by what Rowdy had accomplished uh, in his uh, 20s. I was like, wow. Uh, he chased and fulfilled uh, his dream, and His dream, in many ways, became mine. I wanted one day to go to the Olympics, and I tried really, really hard, and it didn't happen, but I remember being inspired back in 1984 to fulfill something, and this week, how many people were inspired to do something because they saw someone having some pretty compelling moments uh, this past week uh, in Michael uh, Phelps? So I'll ask the question again, Um, before you answer it for yourself, do you know anyone Who is living uh, a compelling life? Not just know of. um, And this is the interesting thing. Just because Michael Phelps had some compelling moments, that doesn't necessarily mean he's living a compelling life. I don't know the man. I don't know what he does. Uh, I don't know actually how he lives. I know he works really hard in a sport, but sports are not everything. Um, So he had a lot of compelling moments, but compelling moments don't necessarily mean you have a compelling life. do you know anyone in your life right now who you would say, when I look at the way they are living their life, uh, it's very compelling? We've got one. Anyone? Just raise your hand. Someone, okay, let me define maybe. I'm not looking at you yet, so put your hands down. Compelling is you look at the way uh, someone is living, uh, someone the way their attitudes, actions, behaviors. You see what they are doing, and it inspires you, Uh, to do the same. They are, uh, maybe they're doing something in in such greatness or in such excellence, in such purity, integrity, and character that when you look at the way that person lives, you are inspired to do the same thing. You are compelled because of that person and how they are living uh, to do the same. Do you know anyone in your life uh, who is living a compelling life? When you look at them, you're like, wow, I want to do the same thing. If I could pursue uh, those things, I would. Let me see the hands. A few of you? All right. That's more than I thought. Um, I almost met a compelling uh, person this past week. Um, Davis Square. Every time I go down to Davis Square, there are people who are activists. And activists always like to act on what they love. And uh, every time I go down there, I'm in conversation with a different person for some environmental agency or some political um, conversations that they want to sway me to be a Republican or a Democrat or uh, just not be American. Um, This past week, um, Davis is filled with people who they love to talk to you. Um, I met uh, some girl. She was uh, from uh, Greenpeace. You guys heard of Greenpeace? And, um, you know, she was working the crowd really hard. I mean, anytime someone new would come and approach her, uh, she would be like, wow, you look really cool. Why don't you, you must be interested in helping cool down the planet. Um, Or she would have these like catchy one-liners and you're like, you're so cheesy, but I'm interested in what you have to say. Um, And so she gives me her little spiel of, you know, uh, Greenpeace and wanting to get my name on an email list and to contribute money and all that kind of stuff. And I just stopped and I said, hey, do you mind if I ask you a question? And, um, And I was breaking her script and I said, why are you out here? what is it about Greenpeace, what is it that is compelling you to stand here on the street corner trying to convince me and other people to sign up uh, to be part of what you are part of? And she looked at me with a shocked look, because apparently no one asked those questions, and I said, help me understand what you love so that maybe I would love it too. Because it was so impressive. I am impressed by people who will stand on the street and want to talk to people about what they love. And I was, I was kind of disappointed because uh, she didn't really know what to say. And I, I'm assuming I th- totally threw her something out of left field, but she looked at me and she's like, well, Greenpeace is a great organization and, you know, they're, they're really good to me. <laughs> and I was expecting, like, I have a heart for the environment. I actually care about this planet. And, um, you know, but it was no, no conversation about the planet except just Greenpeace. And so I was kind of sad, I was like, wow, that's amazing that your love for an organization is compelling you uh, to be out here uh, in this place trying to convince me. You, are you living a compelling life? Is there anything in your life that actually compels you? If it is, what is it? What is it in your life that actually compels you uh, to live differently, to do life differently? To behave, to think, to act, react, attitudes, behaviors. What is it in your life that would compel you uh, to do something different? Um, I wanted to share uh, a story from uh, the Gospel of John. I want you to with this question um, uh, through the next few moments that we have together of, is that me? Am I living a compelling life? Because if you're not, I just, why not? <laughs> why would you want to settle for living anything but a compelling life so wrestle with this question am i living a compelling life and i'll share this at the end but if you're a person who is in relationship with god through jesus christ you should be the most compelling person on the planet if you're a person who's a christian if you're in relationship with god you should be the most compelling person that there is you might not agree with that and that's okay Uh, But if you're in relationship with the creator of the universe, you should be, you are invited to be living a very compelling life. If you have a Bible, uh, open up to John uh, chapter 5 and um, I'm going to share some of the story but I'm really going to focus tonight uh, in the time we have on one uh, simple uh, but pretty transformational question depending on how you actually answer uh, the question. As you guys are going there, let me uh, just pray and uh, ask that God would really uh, meet us in this place tonight and speak to our hearts as we open his word. God, you are, uh, you're good. Uh, we just give thanks that we, we can have hope and that uh, we have forgiveness and uh, you are a God who has reached out to us, that you are a God who has loved us first. God, it's our desire tonight that uh, we would hear from you. Uh, we believe, uh, I believe, God, that scripture is living, it's active, and it can speak to every heart and soul in this place. And so no matter what condition we have come in, uh, whether we're tired and weary, uh, whether we've come in full of joy or full of sadness, God, would you please just meet us uh, in this place tonight? Allow us to hear one voice and let it be your voice because ultimately that's the voice we need to hear from uh, because it, as we'll see in scripture tonight, it uh, is your voice that makes a difference. It's your voice that brings life. Uh, So, Father, as we open your word, uh, be generous tonight to us in this place uh, with your voice. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 20 uh, is a summary statement of what the whole book, why John even wrote his letter. And it says this, John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So everything that John is writing, he's writing so that it would compel us to have life. It would compel us to believe in the name and the person, his life, his death, his resurrection, the person of Jesus Christ. So every story that he shares, every miracle that he reports on, every teaching of Jesus, John is trying to compel his listeners, his audience with one thing, that we would believe in Jesus Christ, and because of that, we would have life. So when you read the Gospel of John, uh, read it with that in mind. Everything is for the sole purpose that you would believe. You would be compelled to put trust and faith and hope in the person of Jesus. What's interesting is you read Scripture, a lot of people lived compelling lives. A lot of people lived compelling lives. Take the disciples, for example. They lived a pretty compelling life. What would actually compel 12 guys to drop everything that they were doing, and they were doing various different things? What would compel them to say, I'm I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to follow him. What would compel someone like the Apostle Paul, who at one point was the religious leader of the church, of the Jewish synagogue, I should say, and he was actually trying to crush Christianity to the point where he was killing people, who align themselves with Jesus or the way or the church? What would compel him to say, I'm, that's not me anymore. I'm going to follow the very one that I once was persecuting. At some level, you can say they lived compelling lives, but you have to ask, what was it that compelled them to live such different lives? To the point where most of those guys I just mentioned, they went, they died. And they didn't die just of natural causes. They died because they were confessing To follow Jesus. They were persecuted. They were martyred for their faith. What would compel someone to live such a life? And ultimately the answer is, it's in one name. It's in Jesus. The relationship, the interaction, the connection they had with Jesus compelled them so much so that they said, we're going to live life differently. And it's going to be a life not about us, but a life about Jesus and all the things that Jesus cares about. And these guys, the more they lived for Jesus, the more they began to look like Jesus, act like Jesus, think like Jesus, have his eyes and his heart. What he cared about, they cared about. And so in John 5, we meet um, an interesting guy. We don't know his name um, except that he was crippled. He was potentially paralyzed. And in John chapter 5, the story picks up. Verse 1, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews, And now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One, in particular, one was there, had been an invalid for 38 years. There was one guy, this is, um, let me, as best I can, paint the picture of um, what's happening. This is uh, some pools in this area of Bethsaida. And uh, Bethsaida actually just means house of mercy. And legend told the story that uh, angels would come down and dip their finger in the pool. And they would stir up the waters uh, in this area. And the first person that would enter into the water would be healed. And so the legend grew uh, that when the waters were stirred, uh, the first person in, if they entered, they would be made well. And so you can only imagine um, how superstitious humanity is in the first place. All the lame, the sick, people who uh, were hurting, positioned themselves down at the pools of Bethsaida, the house of mercy. So much so, there was hundreds of people that the government in that area, that's local town, built porticos or shelter for people so that they could stay there and sleep there. I mean, this was filled with hundreds and hundreds of people who were seeking all one thing. They wanted to be made well. And so the legends continued to grow, and people continued to come down uh, to these pools of Bethsaida. Uh, there's a guy that we're introduced here, one who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. I'm only 36, I can't imagine, um, I just, I can't imagine what this guy, the life that he was living, an invalid for 38 years, now it doesn't say he was living uh, here at uh, the pools of Bethsaida for 38 years, he might have only been there for a few months, or maybe even been there for a few years, but if you can imagine as best you can in your mind's eye, what it must have been like for this one individual. For 38 years to be an invalid, crippled, not be able uh, to walk. Well, this day would be very different than any other day at the pools of Bethsaida because Jesus showed up. And in verse 6, this is what uh, Jesus says. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that uh, he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him this question, Do you want to be well? Do you want to be made well? Now, it's, I have no idea why Jesus picked this guy. I have no idea why Jesus' heart or his eyes were drawn to this one person. Maybe he was like the worst off. Maybe Jesus looked at him and uh, was just filled with compassion because he'd been in this condition and even in this place for a very long time. Maybe he looked at this guy and could see the desire within him was, I do want to be made well. But he was so bad off that no one was helping him. I have no idea why Jesus honed in on this one individual. But one of the things that, or actually two of the things that I love about just this very one verse, uh, what we learn about Jesus very simply is, I love that Jesus takes the initiative with this guy. Jesus was drawn to this person and so he went to this person. This guy did not come seeking out Jesus. Jesus. This guy did not come looking for Jesus to do something for him. Jesus took the initiative and pursued this individual. What I also love is that Jesus asked him a question. Anytime someone asks you a question, they are involving you in the answer, in the solution. They are involving you in the story. Jesus could have just walked up to this guy, touched him, walked away, and he could have been healed. But for some reason, Jesus engaged him with a a question. He just didn't zap him and walk away. He asked him a pretty, uh, what I think is a very transformational question. And this is one of the things I love about Jesus. He's not going to force his way into this guy's life. He will invite, he will engage, he will pursue, he will ask questions. But ultimately, uh, Jesus is not going to force his way into this guy's life. Consequently, he's not going to force his way into your life. He will seek you out, he will pursue you, he will take the initiative, but he will not force his way into this guy's life or our life. And then he asks him a question, do you want to get well? I don't know what you initially think of this question, but it seems kind of silly, almost cruel, like setting, maybe this guy would even be resentful, like how could you ask me such a question? I've been an invalid for 38 years. Are you making fun of me? (laughs) Why would you ask if I want to get made well? Uh, I mean, of course I would want to get made well. So why does Jesus ask him maybe a silly, potentially even offensive question? Okay, so as a pastor, I do hospital visits on occasion. I cannot imagine going to a hospital and uh, sitting or kneeling next next to someone's bed and saying, Hey. do you you want to get well? I imagine just by the fact that they're in the hospital and they're sick that they're trying to get well. In any hospital visit I've done, I've never asked the person, do you want to get well? I've always assumed, maybe I should try this. But Jesus asks this guy a question. Do you want to get well? Well, I have a feeling that Jesus was not, asking because he did not know, I have a feeling he was asking for the benefit of the individual. For starters, I'm not sure if this guy actually did want to get well. I'll give you three reasons why I think he might not want to get well. Have you ever heard of uh, someone who has been institutionalized? You hear that maybe in uh, people who spent time in jail, spent time in prison over a long period of time? They would actually prefer, because they've been institutionalized, to stay behind bars because that's the life they've come to know. And any form of change is too scary, it's too frightening. They would actually rather stay imprisoned because they've been institutionalized. Another way I wrote this down, it says, they grow to a point where it becomes easier to embrace what you cannot do rather than pursue all that you dreamed one day you would do. Elephants. Elephants are pretty big animals, right? A couple tons. But if you've ever been to the zoo or a circus, elephants are held down by a small stake in the ground with a rope tied to their, one of their legs. Have you ever thought to yourself, wow, it doesn't look like that strong of a stake. It doesn't look like that big of a rope or a chain. I'm pretty sure that if the elephant wanted to, he could rip that thing out of the ground and roam free. But do you know why they don't? It's a psychological term just called learned helplessness, because when they were little kids, they were little baby elephants, they were chained to the ground, and the chain was much bigger, and the rope much stronger, and they couldn't break free, and so as they got bigger, much bigger and stronger than the chain that was holding them, and the stake that was in the ground, all those times that they tried to break free and get free from this chain, they just had learned helplessness. I can't break free from this. So when they are full grown, full adults, all the tonnage that they are, they don't even bother to try anymore because they can't break free. So I wonder if this guy had become institutionalized. I've been in this condition for 38 years. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it. And the fear of doing something different, I'd rather stay like this and actually change. Another one might be identity. Have you ever met uh, people who their identity is formed around their problems? Their identity is formed around the pain that they have in their life. And you meet individuals like that and you're like, wow, why don't you want to change? Why don't you want to see maybe healing in your life? To be set free from this pain that you have. What happens over time is people actually take on Their identity, they form it around the pain that they experience in their life. Take away the pain, they wrestle with the question of who am I now. They found all of their significance and worth and value in the pain and the problems that they had in their life. And if they don't have any problems anymore, the thought actually becomes no one's going to care. Because the only time people ever cared is when I had problems could be institutionalized, it could be an identity issue, or it could be insecurity. I imagine that this guy, every single day that he was there, looked out beyond the porticos, beyond the porch that he was laying on, and he looked at all of the rest of the people in the towns and the villages walking around and pursuing and living life. And I wonder, this is just wondering, but I wonder if, at some level, This guy was thinking to himself, if I was going to be well, I'm just not sure if I could do those things. I would actually have to begin living a new life. I would actually have to begin walking and pursuing things that I never, in the past 40 years, four decades, never thought possible. So the question, as I stated earlier, it's really not so much for Jesus. It's a question to this guy's heart and soul. You've been like this for so long. Do you actually really want to get better? Don't jump to the conclusion so quickly that it would be yes, of course. He's been like this for 40 years, 38 years. Now, obviously, this is not just a question for this individual. It's a question that uh, I want to just land on tonight. And this is really uh, the heart of what I wanted to share with you. I wanted you to wrestle with two questions, the compelling life. And if you're going to live a compelling life, it's, it's going to have uh, how you answer this question will impact that. So it's the question to you that Jesus is asking. Do you really want to be made well? Do you really want to see change in your life? Do you really want to see God at work in your life? Do you want to see transformation in your life? This is what Jesus is ultimately asking this guy. Do you want to be different? The the word here when he says do you want to be made well, it's actually do you want to be made whole? a physical, a spiritual, an emotional wholeness to who you are? Do you really want to be made well? Change, difference, transformation in your life? Have you ever just kind of said to yourself, you know, I really want to see God at work in my life? And then you see nothing. I, I mean, I know I have. I won't assume that you guys have. But have you ever said, God, I just, I really want to see you move in my life. And then days, weeks, months, years go by, and you just, you don't feel like you even look that much different. It might be because of how you're asking or answering this question. Do you really want to see God at work in your life? If we're honest, most of us just want to keep God at a distance, at an arm's length, and when we need him, we'll call. We'll keep him in our speed dial top five, faith five. And when we need them, we know exactly how to find him. This is a really uh, important question. Do you really want to be made whole? It's easy to say yes verbally, but it's a totally different story to actually live a yes. Jesus um, had a knack for interrupting people's lives. I mean, story of the New Testament. Anytime Jesus showed up in someone's life, their life looked different. They became a different person, and their story was being rewritten. And it was a, a, a story that was about Jesus' plan, his agenda, his kingdom, not that individual's. I struggle uh, a lot when Jesus interrupts my plans. How about you? You're walking one way, you're pursuing your will, your agenda, your dream, and then Jesus says, shows up and says, I've got something different. I want you to pursue this or chase this or walk here or live here. So before you answer the question, do I really want to be made whole? Do I really want to see the, God's activity in my life? Just pause. Do you really? Do you really want to see God unleashed in you? Because if you do, your life is going to be different. Not could be or should be, but it will be. How you answer this question is so crucial to what your life will look like moving forward. Do you really want to be made well? I wonder if um, the guy at all was thinking, well, Jesus, if you're asking me, do I want to be made well? Do you actually have the power to do anything to accomplish that? You ever wonder that? I mean, Jesus, if you're asking me, do I want to be made well, if I say yes, can you actually do anything to help me? I've got a, a messed up back from an accident I was in last year. I saw, uh, not many, but three or four different doctors, whether it was physical therapists, uh, some other specialists, and, and things like this. And uh, they all gave me the promise, I can... Work with me and I can, can make you well. Well, I gave up. <laughs> at some level, a lot of promises were made. Maybe I should have stuck with it longer. Probably should have. Uh, but I wonder at some level if this guy was thinking, if you're asking me, can you actually even do anything if I said yes? So I asked that of you. If Jesus is asking, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to see change, difference, transformation in your life? Do you actually believe that Jesus can make a difference in your life? Do you actually trust him that he could accomplish what he says he will accomplish? If he says he will make you whole, do you actually believe and trust that he can do that? This guy's response is uh, in verse 7. And it says this, sir, by the way, he has no idea who he's talking to. We find out later in the story, he's got no clue he's talking to the son of God. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool where the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. It's another way of saying I have the desire, I just don't have the means. I really would like to get into that water because I've heard you'll get healed, but Did you catch what he said? No one cares. No one cares about me or my condition, and they always jump in front of me. And because these things don't work, I can't move, and no one's here to carry me into the waters. His response is, I do want to have change or a difference. I do want to be made well, made whole, but no one will help me. No one cares. I imagine that response is certainly uh, coming from a broken man, 38 years of being in this condition, but it also uh, gives a great picture of humility. Because one of his responses could have been, uh, why are you asking me that? I'm doing fine. (laughs) I've got it covered. It might look like things aren't working out, but I'm in control. My plan has been set in motion. I'm inching closer to the water. Why, Why are you asking me? Does it look like I need to be made well? His response could have been one of pride that says, I'm actually kind of offended that you think I need your help. Thanks, but no thanks. Has that ever happened to you when you were uh, maybe, it was someone who was uh, um, uh, maybe homeless? It's happened to me before where uh, my tact was not the greatest, and I just assumed that they needed help, and I asked them for help, and Uh, To my surprise, uh, they were like, why are you asking me for help? Well, my thought was, and I didn't say this, but you're homeless, so I'm assuming that you could use some some food or some shelter. And they were actually offended. This guy was not offended. This guy says, I have the desire, but no one is here uh, to help me. And I love that he admitted that he needed help, and so guess what Jesus does? He helps him. Verse 8 and 9 says this, then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. A spoken word and life began to flow into his legs. In 38 years, he'd never had that sensation before. But Jesus says, get up and walk. Pick up your mat. He wanted to be helped and Jesus helped him. this is not a faith issue, by the way. There's no mention of this guy had, like, great faith. He had no clue who he was even talking to. He had no idea that this was Jesus. But when Jesus says a spoken word, life begins to flow back into this guy's body in a way he'd never experienced. Now, I know the skeptic in each of us says this is a great story, and it might happen, maybe it did, but it certainly could never happen for me? And I'm just going to ask you the question, if you're the skeptic that says, this is a a cute, clever story, this guy gets healed, but that would never happen in my life. Do you really want to get healed? Do you really want to be made well, made whole? How you answer this question largely determines God's activity in your life. Do you really want to be made whole. So we can be skeptical and say this would never happen, and I'm just going to come back at you with a simple question. Do you really want it to happen? I don't have enough faith. Nothing like that could ever happen in my life. Well, guess what? Neither did this guy. This was not a faith issue. This was Jesus at work in someone's life who didn't even know that it was Jesus at work in his life. Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the guy could either do, I guess, two things. He could just sit there and wallow and be like, wow, woe is me. Or he could actually get up and begin to walk. And he chose to walk. I love that he embraced Jesus, what he was saying, and then he acted upon it. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be made whole? The story goes on, and I'm just going to finish here uh, with these few verses in, in John But this is an interesting rest of the story. Get up and pick up your mat and walk. Verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. That day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Okay, you would think there would be some excitement or some joy like, holy cow, a miracle just happened. And all of they can see, these are the Pharisees, the priests, the religious elite. They look at this guy and be like, I don't really care that you are walking now and have been healed and have this amazing miracle in your life. All I care about is that you're carrying a mat. These guys came up with man-made rules, 39 categories of what could be or could not be done or performed on the Sabbath. Law number 39 said, uh, stipulated that from going from one dwelling place to another, you are not allowed to carry anything. Okay, this is not scriptural. These are man-made rules that they had come up with. And so this guy is breaking rule number 39. He's carrying his mat. So rather than rejoicing with them, they break out the rule book and say, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're breaking a, a rule here, buddy. It is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Verse 11. But he replied, this guy, not very heroic. uh, The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So he deflects to someone else. It's it's not my fault. I'm carrying this thing because someone else told me to do it. So they asked him, well, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Verse 13. The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Meaning that you are still complete, you are still physically healed. This was not like a temporary, like one day he was healed, the next day he was paralyzed again. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. I love in verse 14, it says that Jesus sometime later found him. Meaning Jesus went looking for this individual. Jesus was not just concerned about this guy's physical well-being. He was concerned about his, his wholeness. Meaning spiritually, this guy was still disconnected from God. How do we know that? Because Jesus says, stop sinning, or something worse may happen. Now, it's easy to to think um, that Jesus basically is threatening him, like, if you keep sinning, you're just going to be paralyzed again. This is not what Jesus is talking to this guy about. He's saying, stop sinning. You're growing farther and farther away from God. Reconcile yourself to God. And I love that uh, Jesus just is pretty bold with this guy. He looks at what he's doing and he just says, Cut it out. Can't you do life differently? Live differently. Because of the work of God in your life, live differently. This is the message that he's saying Stop, leave this life of sin, leave this life that is about you, and live a different life stop sinning or something worse may happen and it's a spiritual uh, separation from God not a physical threat that Jesus is uh, giving this guy he challenges him to live differently to live a life that reflects what Jesus has done for him in verse 15 it's kind of interesting as soon as this guy discovers it's Jesus he goes back to the Pharisees and he rats Jesus out I know who it is his name's Jesus. What's interesting is the Pharisees, because you've got to have to figure out what's this guy doing. Is he trying to actually go back and praise and say, it's Jesus. He's the one who made me well. And I think actually that's what he's doing. The Pharisees asked, who is this person that told you to break law number 39? This guy had no clue. But when he goes back to report to the Pharisees, he does not report back to the Pharisees who told him to pick up his mat. He goes back in verse 15 and says, it was Jesus who made me well. It was Jesus who made me whole. It was Jesus who made me complete. The story ends. I have no clue what the rest of this guy's life looked like. He had an amazing interaction with Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh. You would hope, you would think that after Jesus healed him but then also pursued him again, you would hope and think that his life would be different. He met the most compelling person in human history. You would hope that his life would be different. I have no idea how his story played out. But I'm left with, how will my story play out? How will your story play out? I said it before, if you are have made a decision to trust Jesus to follow Jesus you should be living the most compelling lifestyle because you're in relationship Jesus has taken up residence in your heart and soul you should be the most compelling person not because of you but because of the work of God in your life and if you're not seeing the work of God in your life will you just answer that question do you really want to do you really want to be made whole Two of the things I'll just finish and and we'll close with this. This question, do you want to get well? I do know that Jesus wants to release each of us from whatever might be crippling us. Some of you, it literally might be a physical condition. Jesus wants to release us from that. Let's just answer the question. Do you really want a change, a difference? Remember the whole institutionalized, the learned helplessness, the identity. Um, And the third one was, um, what was the third one? Insecurity. Glad you guys are with me. This guy acted upon, when Jesus spoke, he acted. He embraced what he said and then he acted upon it. And then the the second thing I would finish with is this question, do you really want to be made well? Why wasn't anyone else made well? There would be hundreds of people hanging out at the house of mercy, the pools of Bethsaida. John only records one person. Why was no one else healed? Why didn't Jesus go like on a healing tangent and just heal everyone? And John doesn't report this, but I wonder if no one was even looking at this guy and no one was even looking at Jesus. All of their eyes were fixed on the water. They were just looking for that ripple. Because as soon as it rippled, that was their cue, jump in the water. They were not looking at Jesus. And they certainly were not looking at this guy because the guy said no one cares enough to even help. I wonder if we are in a place where you're saying, yeah, I do want to be made whole. I do want to be made well. Where are you looking? Are you looking to yourself to make that a reality? Are you looking to other people to make that a reality? Are you just looking to something else to make that a reality? Or are you honestly looking at the only one who can make that a reality? I have this picture in my head of all of these people just staring at the water. The creator of the universe is standing right there, and people are just gazed, looking, staring at the water because this is what's going to make them better. How many people missed what happened at the pool that day? But one didn't if you really want to see the activity of god in your life change difference transformation well i'll give one clear thing stop sinning (laughs) start living life differently and basically sin it's just saying my life is about me that's what sin ultimately is it's pursuing chasing my desires my fleshly desires it's a life that's still about you. So Jesus looks at it, stop sinning. And then just ask, where are your eyes looking? If they're looking anywhere besides Jesus, wholeness won't happen. Healing won't happen. Whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, whether it's things uh, literally from your past, from your present, whether it's anxiety, fear, shame, guilt, worry, Do you really want to be made well? My hope is uh, uh, we would start uh, a new series next week, uh, taking a look at uh, next week specifically, what does it mean that we have been created in the image of God, this DNA series. I wanted to launch us off with, uh, I guess, those two questions. Am I living a compelling life? And I want you to wrestle with this question, do you really want to be different? Do you really want to see change, transformation in your life? Because if you do, it's got to start by focusing, fixing your your eyes, your heart, everything, all of you on the person of Jesus Christ. If you would, let's just take a few moments uh, before we would celebrate uh, communion together to sit with that question. And you answer it as you sit there. And let it be um, more than just lip service of asking God, I want to see you at work in my life. I do want to see change and transformation, a difference. I want to be made whole. And trust that Jesus can do what he wants to do, what he is desirous to do in your life. Father, help us to be honest with ourselves and honest before you. This is a tough question that you asked this guy in John 5. It seems like a no-brainer, but it's not. Father, for those who are here and uh, are saying yes, the desire is there just to see change, transformation, difference in their life. Then, Lord Jesus Christ, I, I pray and I ask that you would do that work. That you would begin to do that work that only you can do. We would cease striving and looking towards other things and begin to just fix our eyes on you. Trust that you can do what only you can do. That at a spoken word, this guy was healed. God, if this is a sin thing, We've just got the reoccurring uh, habits, habitual sins that we just keep doing and going back to again and again. God, I pray we would be repentant of those things. We would say, no more. I'm done with it. Confess that to you. Accept forgiveness for those things. And begin to live differently. God, I pray for uh, us as a community, God, that this uh, should be, I know it is your desire that this should be the most compelling community, your church, for those who call you Father, Jesus, Savior, and Lord. God, would you set us free to live compelling lives, that our lives would not be drawing people to ourselves but pointing people to you. Lord Jesus, thanks for the story that uh, you pursued this man. You saw him and you pursued him. You asked him a tough question. He answered that he wanted help and you helped. God, let this be so in our life. Let this be so. Let this be a reality for each of us. That tonight would be a marked difference. The activity of God in our life. Working to make each of us more and more Christ-like. Our heart would be like his. Our eyes would be like his. Hands and feet. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis is a ministry of Hope Christian Church. We invite you to find out more by visiting our website at genesisthejourney.com.